I'm Jenny Stanley, founder and managing director of Appetite Creative Solutions. And I'm really excited to have everyone here and a huge welcome to everyone who's joining us on this webinar. COVID-19 has resulted in unprecedented challenges and businesses around the world are feeling its impact. While we're all too aware of the negative impacts, there are many positive ones that are coming to light and the businesses and brands that will come out ahead are those that are planning for the recovery and beyond. So our session today will focus on how businesses can start planning forward and how you will benefit from leading ideas and insights from specialists in their field. So this is going to be a fantastic event. It will have a European feel, kicking off with a fireside chat with Alessio Schiavone, an Italian native living in France. He will give us his perspective as Digital Solutions Manager for Europe and Central Asia. We're also joined by Suzanne McKinley, Operational Marketing for Mid-Europe of Tetra Pak, an Irish woman living in Germany. We will, be looking, we will be talking about what Alessia and Susie are focusing on right now and over the next few months as the market adjusts and moves on from this initial impact of COVID-19. Alessio will focus on what he's doing globally, implementing new ways to connect with customers with connected packaging, looking at how much more data can be collected and the usage of that data and its impact all the way through the business. Susie will focus on her specific clients and their required deliverables the strategy for her brands in her portfolio and tell us how her brands are adapting and finding more efficient ways of working and new trends which are coming out thanks to the impact of the virus. I'm really thrilled to have you all here. And then we're going to have a conversation with two communication specialists, Victoria Asher from Ginger May and Julia Smith from The Digital Voice. They will be discussing the dynamic changes in business, communications and clients that are changing their communication strategies at this dynamic time. Victoria and Julie will be giving us some practical what to do and what not to do later on in the session. So for now, to Alessio and Susie. Alessio, most big brands had a 2020 plan, which probably now is sitting in the digital bin. What was originally in your plan that you were no longer going to do, aside from the physical events? Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I mean, it's been a, really a ride. And um, I had started the year fresh uh, with a team meeting. You know, in, in Tetra Park, we have a group of uh, marketeers uh, called the Digital Ninjas, who also double as our you know, ambassadors for digital solutions in the markets and really being the, the link between what we're trying to develop at global level, at European level and in the market. So Actually, uh, Susie is part of that network. And I had the great idea to organize our first meeting in Milano exactly one week before COVID-19 started. <laughs> so uh, I couldn't have chosen a better place. And then, of course, you know, at the time, you know, first quarter, a big company, we had all our planning uh, to do, re requesting investment, focusing on pri priorities. Um, and for Tetra Park, definitely digital solutions are a priority. Um, we had, of course, uh, very different plans. Uh, we wanted to do, uh, you know, a very ambitious target in developing new digital solutions uh, with customers all over Europe. Um, and of course, that has been a bit uh, put on hold, right, with everything that happened uh, after uh, the beginning of the year. Um, at the same time, um, I, I just wanted to share a, a simple uh, slide, which I, I, it's been, you know, a constant reminder for me um, in these past, um, uh, past weeks and months. And it's this one. So um, 
I don't know how many of you working in you know small or, or large companies uh, felt a little bit like uh, like like this uh, you know cartoon. So um, uh, I, I could literally imagine some of our you know uh, head of the companies and high uh, high level of management, uh, you know, discussing about yeah, digital transformation is literally years away. Uh, we have in Tetra Pak a 2030 strategy. So the uh, horizon at which we take decisions of our next investments is is uh, definitely not a quarterly one, right? It's uh, more of a years or several years ahead uh, for our company. And and I could literally imagine what a shock uh, must have been for our top management and, and many people, you know, in the sitting in the markets or at global level uh, when COVID-19 started to appear in all of its complexity and uh, scope, right, and uh, width. And um, of course, you know, this requires to adapt. And I think many people uh, within the company are already, uh, you know, in that mindset and uh, are, uh, we're pretty fast in, you know, changing and adapting their plans for 2020 and uh, onwards. Um, but, you know, um, we live in a very complex uh, industry. Uh, frankly, we take care and we have uh, a, the privilege of looking kind of end to end on the whole food and beverage uh, industry in, uh, globally. Um, and we support, you know, several, you know, very, very famous brands in their journeys. And we are really the physical contact point between what the brand does and what the consumers get in the end. And, um, and I literally, I, what I've been seeing very clearly in the past months, uh, both internally within Tetra Pak and outside, is really this kind of dilemma, no? Um, we were privileged in a way to being a kind of, um, uh, you know, traditional uh, manufacturing company and in a very um, kind of basic um, need uh, industries like food and beverage, we actually saw a growth. We were very privileged in not having, you know, like aviation or other um, industries uh, such bad impact. Uh, actually, again, we, we got, you know, uh, an increase in revenue in the past month. Um, but this, um, I think, increases even more this uh, very clear dilemma. Do I stick to the basics? Do I just simply do better what I know and try to plan as you know um, best as I can what I was doing before the crisis? Or do I take the chance uh, actually to, to really pivot and learn even more? Because I believe that probably as a brand or again, even in Tetra Pak, uh, you know, what we did until yesterday is not gonna be applicable in the coming years. So I think again, this dilemma gives us, uh, and I'm you know, mostly responsible for developing new solutions or uh, supporting again the implementation with colleagues like like Susie and taking their needs uh, and scale them up at global level um, in in you know uh, facilitating right uh, this dilemma and taking decisions uh, which um, uh, hopefully are the good ones in the mid or mid term. Mm -hmm. So you know I think again this chance of um, uh, accelerated learning is something that uh, we are trying really to push forward and uh, it's a very good I think um, even a commercial argument with our customers. And with our internal teams, when we ask, you know, for funds, for development, etc., it is a fantastic time to um, start small, but really invest in something that could prove uh, vital, uh, you know, vital difference uh, when you know um, the new paradigm really displays and becomes more clear in the coming months. Um, so, you know, bringing back to what we do together, so uh, digital solutions that start with uh, the implementation on the, of web applications or mobile solutions that basically help consumers interact with our packages. Um, I think it's, it's great to be able to partner with the flexible uh, partners like, like Appetite. And we really, you know, uh, appreciate that even more in these times of, uh, you know, uh, hard to plan, let's say, scenarios where we can work with you and really developing uh, these new solutions in a fast you know, cycle time 
really, again, help our customers uh, learn fast and then be more aware of what they need to do uh, and improve doing better uh, if they want to, again, take the best um, uh, learnings and chances out of this uh, current situation. I think everyone understands uh, that this is going to stay. It's not just a marathon of three months. Uh, it's really like a, an even longer marathon, right? So again, I think digital solutions really go hand in hand with this uncertainty because they allow anyone to create and test things and learn much faster than in traditional you know, uh, product development cycle, for example. And I see that very clearly again at global level, at European level, and then I guess maybe Susie can add to what she sees every day when she really speaks with customers in their regions, so. Yeah, ab absolutely. Thank you, Alessio. I mean, Susie, exactly that. I mean, looking at your clients, are there any big examples of things that they would have been doing this year or been planning to do this year, aside from physical events that now they're just not going to be able to do? Yeah, well, we, we can kind of split most of the brands into, into three levels, basically. We see some brands that are in a freeze mode. Um, so at the moment, they're not spending any budget. They're not doing any activities because they see a limited effectiveness of doing anything. Um, we see some brands that are in a, a flex mode, let's call it, um, where they're finding new areas to grow and maybe moving into these type of digital campaigns that Alessio was mentioning before. And then we also see some brands that are in a kind of fix it mode um, where they're able to generate new revenue, maybe from partnering with a new delivery ecosystem or also moving into e-commerce as well. Um, but when we kind of look at the food and beverage segment as a, as a sector, apart from the big FMCGs like Unilever, we see most of the brands kind of being in this freeze, slightly flex mode, um, where they've really reduced their activities in terms of reduced B2B and B2C exhibitions. They've reduced point of sale activities. They've reduced paid media in magazines and newspapers. Um, no longer is possible to do sampling direct with consumers on the street or in the workplace. Um, and also the reduction of, of the festivals and other outdoor branding activities. Um, but despite these kind of challenges, I, I do believe that it's still a crucial time for brands to remind consumers of their brand story. And rather than cutting back on the marketing spend, taking, like Alessio was saying, the opportunity to do this kind of experimental approach of how to re-engage with the consumers um, and even using physical assets like a packaging, which are already in consumers' home, as another medium to try to communicate with consumers. And then really trying to tie these activities into direct measures that they can look into, like brand impact, return on investment, consumer leads, conversion kind of things. So I think there's still a lot of opportunities despite some of these big out-of-home activities being stopped. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. Alessio, what are your plans now for the remainder of, of Q2 and, and, and H2? You talked a little bit around connected packaging. Tell us a little bit more what your plans are. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, again, um, what we are really um, uh, focusing on, I think it's in finding out who these um, pioneers or let's say the people that want to go in that experimental mode uh, are, right? It's not easy, especially in, again, in a, in a pretty traditional um, industry like food and beverage. But I think, you know, the uh, closer to basics is one industry, the more, the higher are actually the chances of uh, uh, valuing, you know, what, what you do with digital solutions. So um, we're really trying to find the best partners uh, from customer side. I mean, it's, it's still uh, not so common to call them even partners, to be frank, in our industry. So uh, really partner with them and develop uh, something that could be uh, useful in a short uh, impact, right, in a short amount of time. 
we don't have the time to you know, uh, ramp up solutions that will require years to show benefits. We need to find something which is very clear, very simple, that gives, again, um, immediate benefits. And maybe it's not the typical benefit like uh, return on investment uh, or selling more packages because in a way that is already happening with people you know, uh, buying more purchase for in-home um, consumption. But I think you know, one example that comes, uh, keeps coming up in my mind is planning. How do you plan your production uh, in such uncertain times? So what is the time that it takes for your package of products to be you know, from the time that it leaves the factory to the time when it's actually on the shelves and being you know, available for purchase? So um, I think the visibility on this time uh, timeline is very reduced at the moment. It's not very clear to brand owners at least. Um, and I think there it's one way where we can help a lot. Um, whenever someone scans a code through one of the applications that we developed together, uh, actually with your help, uh, Jen, um, you know, we get a data point which is very precious today. And um, most probably we've already, already seen very interesting uh, trends and KPIs that we can measure, like the number of uh, families that um, uh, actually scan more the package because they are spending more time as a family together. So um, it used to be, you know, families were scanning anyway um, uh, our products with the QR code, um, usually uh, during the weekend, where you know you maybe have a bit more time to have breakfast. But I think again, even the, the daily schedules of families are changing so much that having a package that can give some kind of useful communication, some fun, engaging content, is is a you know uh, basically revamps a little bit also the uh, use of QR codes. Um, people were a bit skeptical. I think now we can we can expect QR codes to have. Uh, a new kind of comeback in the coming years, so or that's what we hope, right, Susie? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, what you're saying there is the impact is more than just affecting consumption figures or, or purchase figures, is actually being able to have different data points that can affect lots of different things, including production and logistics. Absolutely. Yeah, which is, which is really interesting. What other changes do you think are necessary for brands and corporations to make during this period and beyond? Oof, um, <laughs> where do we start? Um, I mean, luckily, at least speaking for Tetra Pak, we, we had started a journey many years ago, right? Um, and the good thing that I see is a little bit like that cartoon that I showed in the beginning. You know, the impact of COVID made it so much clear that all the choices and the you know, uh, initiatives we started a couple of years ago only need to be accelerated, right? Um, so um, we've been pretty good as an organization to be able to work remotely in an efficient way. Uh, we are trying to rethink, just to give you a practical example, uh, just the other day with Susie and, and the team, um, we were thinking together, how do we present, you know, how do we do a customer presentation with more effective, in a more effective way when we cannot meet them? And when, you know, having the physical package in each other's hands and exchanging it and touching it is so important for our products, right? It's, uh, we do the packaging. So how can you speak about it if you don't even touch it? So we are rethinking uh, completely the way we, um, I, I would say, um, we present our solutions, um, but also the way and the stress to our, um, let's say, global teams, whenever we have an innovation that seems to work in a market, we are really now much more conscious about the uh, short cycles that our global teams uh, have to implement uh, effective solutions. And that's been frustrating, right? We um, come from a, an industry where developing a new machine or a new packaging takes years. Of course, with digital solutions, you have days <laughs> or weeks. And again, this is where we are pushing a lot to have, you know, better, more efficient partners that help us speed up, um, you know, this quick testing and learning. 
And I think, you know, we, we can probably have the best of both worlds when we have the right partner on one side and, a, you know, the ability to scale up to billions or to a global scale are things with our internal teams. So I, I really see this difference between um, making very sure and very clear that different teams do different jobs with a different purpose. The quick, rapid innovation that we want to do as quickly as possible, and then the big, you know, army that scales it up uh, and makes it sustainable, you know, efficient, cost-effective, etc. Yeah, no, ab absolutely. Being able to move and, and pivot quickly is um, so important. Um, COVID-19 has enabled significant digital disruption and basically it's forced change within a few weeks as Alessio's cartoon showed us. A McKinsey report suggests that we are now about five years ahead of digital adoption with things like online events now, such as this, working from home. Really, we're in a place where, you know, experts thought we would be in, in 2025. Susie, Germany before had a very low penetration in, in e-commerce. How are you advising your brands to make use and, and navigate these, these changes? Yeah, well, well, when we look at the, the food and beverage industry as a whole, the rules are gonna be very different. Um, already planning for 2025, and now we've kind of thrown the rule book out of the window. Um, even if we look at Germany, the, the growth uh, for online is 18.1, and pre-COVID, it was only meant to be a growth forecast of 10%. So even within a period of five months, e-commerce has become really the, the key channel here and um, where food and beverage brands can make a difference. And we're also kind of thinking that globally this is going to continue to grow um, with a forecast of about 20% of groceries in the end will be purchased online. Um, so of course this is going to have a lot of implications for brands. So even thinking about using real-time data driven that Alessia was mentioning before, how can we even talk about hyper-customized products or consumption habits um, of even getting the brands into consumers' homes through digital enablers. So this is why we talk so much about this kind of digital identity on the packaging, because that would really help brands communicate with consumers and enabling new ways of promotions and value chain transparency um, almost through, through traceability. And also what we're, what we're really discussing is that a lot of food and beverage uh, manufacturers are still relatively traditional in terms of the marketing communications and um, but this is this is very quickly changing uh, where we see that most food and beverage consumption is going to start being underpinned by some kind of digital platform and engagement as well um, and even kind of thinking about sustainability or, or waste options and um, that this will also maybe help to to create the recycling eco ecosystem or maybe kind of a digital watermark or a digital enabler can really help to build the, this value chain uh, traceability and give the opportunity for brands to talk about consumer transparency when it comes to these areas. Yeah, I, I think that's really interesting. And I think the other thing is, is the impact that it's had, not just on how brands need to act, but also on how businesses are working. I mean, us for one, Appetite, we're only gonna go back to the office once a week. For now, with the rest of the time, the team will work from home. Santander and other banks have uh, announced permanently working from home. Google and Facebook are going to work from home until the end of the year. Your job is very customer facing, Susie. So you probably visit clients, I don't know, two or three times a week. So yeah. how are you managing to keep in contact? How are you managing to, to work with your clients? 
Yeah, and I think this is kind of you're definitely going back to that picture where today it's going to be more important to create this kind of culture of, of innovation and, and agile ecosystems with our customers and to be able to keep the communication channels open, but also being able to, to work together on scoping new opportunities. Um, and luckily, we work with a number of uh, collaboration tools that can help foster this uh, productivity even remotely. Um, so we, we work on kind of a design thinking, co-creation, agile sessions with our customers to create maybe new product concepts or new communication plans. Um, and we also have uh, recipe trial pilot factories where customers can say, okay, I want a new protein flavored water, for example. Uh, before, of course, these were done face to face, um, either within workshop buildings or within the factory. Uh, but now we, we have to find the way and we are finding the way to run these virtually. And um, so basically these virtual trials have a number of advantages and keep that relationship open. So it ensures more customers can attend. So people from different departments, so you get lots of different insights. We can also bring more experts in, you know, because there's not a cost of flying people in um, or physically meeting, but it also has a carbon emission saving as well. So again, sustainability and technology are really starting to, to co-work co together and being important areas of how to keep that communication open. It reminds a little bit, uh, Susie, of a, a quote I read once. Uh, um, it was in an artificial intelligence course, and they said, the issue with the world is not that we have too much artificial intelligence, it's that we have too little yet, right? And it was about, you know, using AI for very large and complex systems like healthcare or um, traffic city in the cities, you no know, stuff like that. So in a way, I think it, we, we realized that uh, digital transformation is not uh, too much or too fast or that, you know, people had crazy dreams. I think, again, through COVID, almost everyone who is a bit, you know, with their eyes opened, realized that we need more of it, actually, um, to become, you know, as a way to really streamline, to take away all the things which are not strictly needed, but that, um, you know, actually make the difference in, uh, if you want to be fast and competitive on such, um, you know, evolving markets. So to me, in a way, it's a, it's a bit like going on a very strong, powerful diet. <laughs> it, it doesn't hurt. I mean, hopefully in the long term. <laughs> a diet. No, no, thank you. <laughs> do, do you see any other, any other kind of new trends coming to life? Um, I, I was very struck by, again, uh, because that's something that we focused a lot on, you know, it's enablers on the packages, on the physical objects. So if you take it from a kind of IoT perspective, uh, a package is a thing, right? And we are trying to make it come a, a connected thing, right? It could be anything else, actually, but uh, we, we, that's our core business, right? So um, I, and I definitely, again, speaking about enablers, everyone was very skeptical uh, many times about the use of codes or how people interact with, with packages. Um, the other day I saw this email from PayPal and it was, um, you know, uh, a QR code is basically the easy contactless way uh, to pay your transactions, whether it's a tip or, you know, something, anything. Actually, you don't need to touch the other person or an object to pay. You can just scan a code. So to me, really, I would expect that uh, codes will make a significant comeback um, as a way to, again, link a physical product with the digital experience. And uh, of course, the more reasons and the better experience we keep thinking about and testing out uh, for our customers, the more the media will be, again, used. So uh, for us, it, to me, it's very encouraging, actually, because in a way, it gives us a bit more of um, 
um, yeah, space to keep testing what you can do with codes, whatever they are, whether it's printed or you know maybe RFID tags or things like that. So from a technology perspective, the use of cloud, um, web applications, augmented reality, these are all things that we are very interested in and where we believe there's appetite right, from, from the customers. And I think you could also talk with that about um, consumer um, adoption as well, because if you look at Germany, the sixth oldest country in the world, um, that we've seen social media and online activity much more by the older generation and they're mastering for the first time um, e-commerce or social media as well. So that's offering further digital and creative opportunities that has to be matched with an easy experience. Um, and something that they can use and have brands communicating with them for the first time one-on-one -on -one in their home or on their mobile phone. Yeah, in, in, in a very different way. Um, sorry, Alessia, I think you were going to add to that. Uh, no, no, again, and probably the other trend that we see as very important is uh, everything that is that links, you know, this um, entertainment or information side or, you know, traditional campaigns type of mechanics to traceability so if especially when you you know in these times where you don't really know about you know what is safe what is not safe where uh, you know uh, you want to know more about everything that you interact with having a more clear uh, idea on the um, transparency side right so where is the raw material that is in my package or in my uh, juice is, uh, where is it coming from uh, again the footprint um, all of these things I, I guess there would be a, an even increased interest in con from consumers uh, and anyone, of course, working in retailers. You know? So in, in the retail, whether it's traditional or online, um, we will really need to think about how to optimize the value chain through a, an even more pushed use of data and, and insights and analytics. So again, uh, when things are less predictable, you need to be even more accurate, I guess. And um, that's, I guess, a general trend that we want to follow. Yeah, definitely. And there's, there's a couple of questions that have come in um, while we've been chatting. Um, the first one, perhaps it's for Susie first, but um, you could jump in, Alessia, of course, um, is from Tom Jenin. What's your advice to brands who have stopped spending on, on brand advertising and how can they get back into it? Have customers' brand perceptions shifted in the absence of, of advertising? Yeah, um, definitely what we're seeing is the, the short-term gap that they're leaving. And even if you think about being consumer-centric, um, now is really the time to, to reassess and trigger emotions with consumers because they're at this pivotal point where they're deciding which brands are going to be part of their life and, and which ones are not. Um, so if you're not investing in advertising, there still needs to be some form of communication with consumers. And really also listening and monitoring how your consumers' behaviors are, are changing and even trying to kind of go back to back to basics with your kind of marketing and communication activities. But there are still a lot of opportunities that are possible. And even thinking of influencers or as they're called now, home fluencers, you know, how can you use those type of people that are at home for very cheap content creation? but really stand for your brand, can trigger with the end consumer and really show how your product can be used in everyday real life situation. I think that this is something enough to continue that you're top of mind for consumers. Definitely, definitely. Um, I think the other question that's really interesting, and this is perhaps maybe more um, for Alessio, that's, 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 I mean, um, Nigel Nelms has, has, has posed this question for you. Are you trying many innovative things or are you focusing on prioritized innovations? 
Yeah, super interesting. You know, again, I, I bring, I try to bring in the perspective of uh, the more co corporate side of, of the company. And again, it's a big um, global company. So I would say the time where we reached out to experiment and test and we were parts of several, you know, incubators, um, et cetera, is a bit gone uh, with 2019. So we did our good investment in learning what's out there. This year, it's more and more, of course, about execution. So we want to um, focus on areas of interest. We are still very open in exploring and testing, but uh, with a much more clear scope. So I think now we, we have decided where we want to play. Uh, so I think we're reducing the scope of the tests and the experiments. And we want to, again, uh, where we bring, we bring value as a company is taking local small innovation and bring it up to billions of packages worldwide, right? So we want to provide that large industrial scale. Um, the secure platform, so this is what we are interested in now. So therefore you need to be a bit more selective in what you want to pursue. pursue. Yeah. And just and just to add from that, then the customers also are demanding for from us that any activities that we're doing together have some sort of immediate or short term impact as well, because it is such a pivotal point that we're not talking about three year transformational activities here. We're talking about how can we make some sort of immediate impact or a bit of noise to build that engagement. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. As, as with all digital, we're, we're expected to be able to do things yesterday and produce results tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly, exactly. I think we all feel that pain sometimes. Yeah. Um, Susie, we, we've, we've touched on it a few times um, throughout your, your, your questions, which is around the environmental um, impact of lots of things. And you talked about, um, obviously, carbon footprint, being able to obviously have more people attend testing and innovation events without having to jump on a plane. Um, I think COVID-19 has really put environmental front and centre. Um, how is Tetra Pak looking at this? Yeah, so for us, sustainability is really at the core of what, what we look at and packaging, which ensures food safety, offers convenience, but is sustainable, um, is really going to hold the potential future growth area for us. And one way that we want to, to use that as an asset is like we're, like Alessio has mentioned, of having the, the physical asset of the package as a digital communication channel. Um, so when it comes to sustainability, it's really targeting to end consumers to maybe try to overcome some of the myths that they think um, about carton packaging or to help educate them on this topic. And I'm working with you guys in Appetite, then we've put the, the QR code as the digital enabler on the pack um, and with the call to action to, to say for consumers to engage with the, with the QR code. And then we've brought a level of gamification, let's say, to consumers when it comes to the topic. So when they scan, they're presented with three different types of games, a memory game, a roulette wheel, um, to try to, to highlight some of the key messages for us when it comes to sustainability, but also for us to understand and listen to our consumers on which of our messages maybe are not crystal clear for them today. And this gives us the insights to then continue to build our communication and messages to our customers and to our end users as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think there's been a lot of change. Obviously, environment was, was very important before, but I think ever so more now. And it's something that brands really need to be aware of um, and, and keep in mind in any of their, their new um, marketing communications as well. Well, thank you very much, Susie and Alessio. Thank you. Interesting insights. Um, thank you again to the audience for, for your questions as well. Fantastic. Um, 
really great to understand a little bit more how yourselves at Tetra Pak and brands are preparing and positively triumphing from this period of change and, and setting up success for the bounce back. Um, for anybody who's asking, yes, we will share um, the, the recording afterwards. Um, and so anything that you have missed out on, of course, you'll be able to catch up on. Um, I'm now going to move to two communications experts, Julia Smith, who runs the Digital Voice, and Victoria Usher from global PR agency, Ginger May. It's like an unveil there. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Two go in, two come out. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, ladies, you're often very front line for businesses as their communication experts. So you must be hearing a lot of reactions from your clients in this existing situation. With this in mind, what observations are you making at the moment? I mean, Victoria, what are some of the mistakes that you've been seeing in communication? Julia, I mean, what are you seeing? Well, she like it? Well, do you know what? The first one is if you're doing an event, don't forget to ask the brands because I think Susie and Alessia just did a great job. And too often, we actually forget to bring the brands into the conversation and actually they shape our opinions all the way through the chain. So that'd be my first don't. Um, the second one, don't shoehorn your brand into a save the NHS piece just because you think it's going to get you coverage. And also, if you're running a piece, don't just, again, just put COVID-19 in the headline and then not follow that through in the body of the text. What we would say is don't hold back, do do what is right, and actually try and create educational, informative, or engaging pieces. So if you, again, there's been amazing surveys and my clients and unions just come out with one today, and it's about content consumption and attitudes to advertising during COVID-19 that follows all the way through into that survey. Um, so those are the main things I think I would say. And the other one is don't, don't, be afraid to take risks on certain virtual conferences and environments. So Jenny, I have the pleasure of working with you on PR and comms, and we're going to be trialing the next event on remo.co, which is kind of a virtual networking, isn't it? And, the, and to try out that, how do you start actually going beyond just talking to people with engaging with them as well? So it's don't be afraid, don't hold back, do it, but do it right. Yeah, I like that. And I'm excited for the new, for the new Yeah, I know. have got to trial it first. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Victoria, I mean, what, what are you seeing? What are some of the mistakes? Uh, uh, sadly, seeing quite a lot of mistakes, actually, at the moment. Um, and it's really basic ones. Um, and I would say the main one that I see, and I, I mean, I see it, you know, from a kind of professional eye as well. Uh, but personally, it's people trying to sell to me. It just feels really tacky and it feels wrong you know to have these very salesy kind of emails coming through um talking about themselves um and you know maybe kind of like i hope your family's okay when they've not spoken to me for kind of four or five years that feels very inappropriate very ill-timed very insensitive um, and completely off the mark and it doesn't engage me on a on any kind of level doesn't feel authentic doesn't just doesn't feel right at all in any way. Um, there are some, um, I did a presentation about this a couple of weeks ago to London and Partners and actually um, a couple of the brands that we called out on this was, uh, so Ritual, which is a North American brand that used a voucher to promote their services um, around COVID. So again, it felt a little bit cheap and nasty to be kind of piggybacking off the back of a crisis when people are losing their lives and people are losing their jobs. And then you'll say, yeah, but actually you can gain money from us by and, and therefore that's going to build our market share it, it just kind of felt quite selfish so I think you know going reflecting back on what Julia's point was you know my message has always 
be educational, um, really try and educate your marketplace rather than taking these cheap shots uh, about yourself. Definitely. Try and try and so Captify is somebody actually that's doing quite a lot of uh, mail outs at the moment. They're all around data um, points around COVID, which I think is really interesting because they are using that thread, that news hook, that, that news narrative to then look at deal go into their insights that's a really clever way that some of the oh, also they're doing brilliant mindful sessions as well so they've got it I totally that, right yeah, yeah. on that as yeah. well and actually there's a mindfulness a headspace is a is a company um thanks jules you just reminded me that is doing really well because they're offering um headspace for free um again you know they're, they're linking in with that mental health message with no kind of promotion for themselves it's all about other people um you know which is really good audible as well they're giving away free uh free books uh, for uh, audio books for children um, during the crisis to help with homeschooling. Again, it hits the mark perfectly mm. for where brands need to be at the moment. Ah, fantastic. So in terms of what to do for PR and comms, um, I mean, you've given us some examples, but what would your advice be? Mm -hmm. Do you want me to take this one, Jules? Yeah, you go first. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, so I think, again, it's just getting into the mindset of people at the moment. So that's, uh, you know, whether that's B2B or B2C. Um, I'm talking a lot at the moment about Maslow's hierarchy. Um, and the hierarchy has actually been tipped completely on its head. So at the, at the peak, at the peak of the pyramid, um, it's all about higher aspirations and purpose, self-actualization and self-esteem, which marketers, CMOs are always trying to get there with their brands because that's when you kind of get out of the mess and become that kind of brand that people come back to again and again for loyalty what you actually need to look at is the bottom part of, of the Maslow's hierarchy um, which is around safety security psychological needs so again it goes into the kind of educating informing making people feel safe giving them something you know um, again like um, you know like we talked about with audible so I would say you know people are confused they're fearful they're worried about themselves and their jobs at the moment it, it's been chaotic I think we're coming out of that now I think there's definitely a narrative arc that's happening um, across the media space at the moment. So that's definitely where we've been for the last few weeks. I think lockdown is, is helping that narrative arc to change. I think it's becoming a little bit clearer. People are starting to look forward and being a bit more positive. Um, so I think brands are starting to change there, which is great. But I think, you know, again, in terms of advice, I would say just it is still not the time to sell. It really isn't. Again, you've got to be carrying on with this kind of supporting attitude and educating um, really that that's going to be carrying on for a few weeks yet and I would say sharing knowledge to boost influence is really important so again how can you help how can you add value to somebody's business and help them in their day-to-day -day role so that is really important you'll get cut through because you're also talking about benefits and not features which is something else that I see going out a lot I think you're actually, if I can follow on from that, because that's just, it's so spot on. But it, and it's also that we kind of have said to people, it's about right now, you can really be personal and people will respond well to that. It's, yeah. I think as well, it's often we to get a look at, right, we've got to target this mass reach. And actually right now, it's, it's possibly better to think about what, what are my 30 clients or prospects that I need to go to? How can I reach them? Can I create my own virtual event in which I bring flavor and bring education and bring something that they want or give them a plan or, and then put on stage something that they want to hear speak about or a topic that they want to 
so that you know they're going to be interested in. The surveys work that's being done is really good because people are desperate for information. Um, third part is they're desperate for positive news. Mm. So it shows growth. If you are expanding, if you are hiring, do shout about it because it does give people that mm. sense that things are not standing still. I've got to be honest, I'm seeing shoots of positive spend happening, mm. start, starting to see growth shoots coming through. And I'm really glad to see that. And I think shout about it. Let's talk up, talk about positive things. Um, the other ones, we've done some, Jenny, we're talking giraffe on podcasts. If you're going to do a podcast though, because Jenny and I discovered this, it's far easier to do a vodcast and have it on video, have people on video so you can see their faces. Because if you just do a podcast and you're not in the same room, it's really hard to get that sense and engage with them. So a little piece of advice, do a vodcast. Mm -hmm. um, and I think other things are quite interesting. Try different things. Try cribs with your clients or with your partners. Try anything that's going to get you to engage and then really get to know you. And I think, Victoria, you said this, it's about playing it forward. And those people that are empathetic and authentic through this, I think they're going to be the ones to stand out and that you'll remember. I agree. People will remember as well. They will. You know, if you just go to ground and you're not saying anything at all, that is, I would say that's probably the worst thing you can do is say yeah. nothing. Although saying nothing is better than selling. Thing. So or don't sell. Wrong. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> completely wrong. But um, yeah, don't go to ground. You, you are much better to be saying the right thing, even if it's not very much at the Definitely. moment. Victoria, what do you think businesses need to focus on then in H2? So um, I, I think that... Um, they need to start coming out of hiding a little bit and changing the narrative. So I agree with Jules. I think um, we're starting to see a step change, which we predicted would happen once people start coming out of lockdown, because it's quite difficult when the country is restricted. You know, from a communications point of view, it, it, it's sort of, it's, it feels slightly mm -hmm. odd. So I would say, um, you know, continue to promote your business from an educational point of view. Um, the research is there to show that businesses that do really, really benefit. So I think uh, the figure is around 275% greater um, growth of the business for those businesses that have been tracked through previous recessions. So lots, lots of research being done around this. I think McGraw-Shaw is the company that did this on the last recession. So businesses that literally locked down and didn't do any kind of brand awareness, advertising, any kind of PR really suffered compared to businesses that went out there and talked to the market about the benefits in the way that Julia and I have spoken about. So now is the time, you know, that H2 is going to be um, a period where the, hopefully things will be coming back. I mean, we don't have a crystal ball, but that's certainly what a lot of the commentators are talking about. We're starting to see it. People want comms. They want to be talking to the market, addressing them. You know, people have big plans for 2020. You know, from a Brexit point of view, it's really frustrating. We were all going to go for it. So I think people are waiting in the wings to get back out there. Um, so they need to get back out there. They need to be positive. They need to be looking at the news agenda and be sensitive. But it's all about thought leadership. It's all about saying educational, informed pieces, talking about your unique selling points, in reference to the market. So that's what I would say, start those plans now, start your marketing and your communication plans now because you need to be hitting it. Absolutely, and I just follow on from that saying, there's other things, there's certain strains like this um, out of home has been moving spend into in gaming, for example, I'd love to see well, what are the results of that? So there's things that have been be happening in the last eight weeks. Now let's see what the results are because I think that we're so agile as an industry. Now let's talk about it and see, talk about the successes and even the failures of what's worked and what's not. But at least it's having that conversation and showing that 
that almost is, a, I feel there's a more of a sense of unity. And I think people are pleased to see people do well because it gives them confidence. So stepping out there into the limelight with whatever story you have is absolutely the big takeaway for, for me as well. Absolutely. And lastly, what piece of advice would you give clients looking at their PR and comm strategy at the moment, Victoria? Um, I would say it's basically going back to my two, two points, which is don't hide. You need to be saying something to the market about what you're doing in terms of your unique selling points and you need to start planning. So again, that is my key thing is start doing that. If you know, if you're going to start looking at H2, then start your plans from July and hit it hard because the market, I, I know because I was, I was MD of a PR firm back in 2008 in the last recession. It was quiet during the recession, but it hit really hard. There's a lot of competition there. So you need to be planning for that because other companies will be doing that. They're already in planning mode. They're already looking at their narrative. They're looking about what they want to be taking out to the market and saying. So you need to be prepared for that. And you need to make sure that you are leading and you're not behind because, you know, the ones that are leading will really, really benefit in the long run. And my final bit was actually just, it's be human because we all are. And it does show through that authenticity. Be calm. It's going to be fine. Um, and also don't hold back. And as I said at the start, it's do it and do it right is the big message I think I would put across. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some, some great piece of advice there and lots of positive stories. I mean, Julia, you're talking about shoots of, of, of spend um victoria you're talking about obviously your, your past experience and 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 how actually things will come back and the bounce back will be hard and so it's it's a good time to now use this time obviously to be to be planning so i think it's clear that whilst the media is focused on covid19 it's important that brands are getting out there and talking about their specialist areas rather than sitting quietly in the corner the, the problem would is actually also i was just going to do a bit of credit to the trade press at the moment because they are really under the you know they're, they're themselves under pressure but they are really open so to new if you've got content that's strong i, I all credit them because they've been a, a pleasure to work with on, in very trying times at the minute I agree. I think that the, the trade press is much more supportive. What's frustrating is watching the national press just terrifies yeah, everybody. Absolutely. But you've got to remember, I mean, we all know this, you know, negative news stories, they create headlines, it creates clicks. Um, so it's, it's, it's their commercialism. <laughs> yeah. they, they need to do that. That's their business model. But, you know, what we're seeing is a little bit of a difference between what's happening in the national press and actually what's happening with the trade press. So, you know, things are starting to come back out again. You can see that through the surveys, you know, Omar Oaks in campaigns writing about this an awful lot at the moment. So, you know, read those news stories rather than the, the doom and gloom ones in Definitely. the national. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you very much to, to both yourselves, Victoria and Julia. A massive big thank you, of course, to our earlier panellists, Alessio and Suzanne, who also gave us some fantastic insights into what they're doing and what brands are doing. I hope that you enjoyed this webinar. I certainly did. And so I've got not much left to do, but remind you that the recording will be sent around and I wish you a very good afternoon. Thanks, Thanks, Jenny. It was Thanks great. guys. Thanks, everyone. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye. Ciao.